Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Israeli army is right outside of Gaza, like right there. How can they not respond to a border breach? when every bird that craps on the wall sets off an alarm. The entire system for seven hours does absolutely nothing as terrorists stream into the country. A single helicopter gunship could have taken them all out as they crossed into Israel and nothing happened, nothing. It makes no sense. What makes a lot more sense is if the deep state in Israel and the deep state in the US had a plan to start a war. Can you tell me a bit about Gog, Magog, end times prophecies. It looks like an American aircraft carrier headed towards Jerusalem trying to provoke the Russians on the other side and the Arabs being sandwiched in the middle of pawns just like the Jews are. It looks like this is a possible staging point for the Battle of Gog and Magog. I'm not saying that this is it, but it seems to fit so far. And that time of war is about to end this year in 5784 if that calculation is correct. Israel has to win this war or there could be World War III. Hi folks, Canadian Prepper here. Well, it's an honor once again to have back a friend of mine, Rafi Farber, who is currently in Israel. As a preparedness channel, I try to remain as impartial as I possibly can. Part of, you know, open source intelligence gathering and just trying to decipher the situation is being objective even in the face of uh, frenzy and panic. And that's a lot easier for me to do because I'm over here and you clearly are smack dab at ground zero. So I'm not gonna be projecting and prescribing or doing any sort of value judgments uh, with you on the conflict. I'm sure everybody's got a strong opinion on this issue, and we're going to try to, to get your perspective on what's going on, how you're preparing for it, how you think this fits into the broader Judaic uh, prophecies, if you will, eschatological stuff about, you know, end times. And of course, what we primarily intended to discuss was the markets and how all this is going to affect the markets and the price of gold and yada, yada, yada. So just tell us a little bit about how you're doing, man. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to come on today, because I know it is a, a not less than ideal time to have you here. Well, look, personally, I'm doing physically, I'm okay. I'm in northern Israel. Uh, there is some bombing going on to the west of me in the Galilee, but I'm in the Golan, which is south of Syria. There hasn't been much problems there, but there's starting to be some stirrings up there, and it's getting a little scarier. There are jets flying over my head every few minutes. I'm expecting to be called to the bomb shelter at some point, not necessarily right now, but it's probably going to get there. What happened here... Uh, from my perspective, it was a holiday. It was uh, on Saturday, and Saturday is Shabbat, which is the Jewish day of rest, but that happens every week. It was a special Shabbat. It was the Shabbat where we finished uh, reading the Torah. We finished the whole Torah, and it's a holiday called Shemini Atzeret, and traditionally Jews, uh, we don't have our phones on, and we're dancing around the Torah, and some people get drunk uh, in happiness. And, uh, I don't really condone that. I don't think it's appropriate for the holiday, but that's what a lot of Jews do on this holiday. They drink. 
So they caught us in a in a situation where we're dancing and a lot of us are drunk. And it was it was clever timing on their part. I have to give them that. I didn't find out about anything. I didn't know anything was happening until after the holiday. I'd heard uh, some screams of people, you know, secular Jews or some Russians live here, non-Jewish Russians live here, yelling at us that uh, there's a war going on. And we kind of like just shrugged it off because we hadn't heard anything. So I first heard of what was going on when I turned on uh, my phone and my computer. And uh, we found out that hundreds have been murdered. And uh, Israel was, quote unquote, caught by surprise. But I don't think that that is possible. Uh, the whole story that Israel was caught by surprise or the Israeli government was caught by surprise is, in my opinion, and I'm not an intelligence officer and I have no inside sources from the government. This is just my speculation using logic and what I know about Israel's capability, you know, one meter from the Gaza wall. And what they have there is that surprising Israel by infiltrating Gaza is ridiculous on so many fronts. It, it is nearly impossible, in my opinion, that that happened that way. For seven hours, seven hours, and I've heard this from sources at the Gaza border, the Israeli army did absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever. The Arabs, uh, the Hamas, call them terrorists, I don't even like that word, but Hamas stormed in about a thousand of them some of them on golf carts, some of them were paragliding above the fence on, you know, these fan-powered paragliders. Some of them were just walking, and they walked in with guns and weapons, and they just started shooting people and burning buildings and, and kidnapping women, and there have been children that were kidnapped, 150 kidnapped, just walked across the strip. They had seven hours to do this with no opposition whatsoever. A single helicopter gunship could have taken them all out as they crossed into Israel and nothing happened, nothing. So what I conclude from that is that something high up in the Israeli government, I don't know who, I don't know what, and again, this is speculation, somebody knew about this and allowed it to happen. I don't know if it was Netanyahu, I don't know if it was somebody else, I don't know if it was a traitor, but then you have to ask yourself the question, why would they allow this to happen? Why would Israel allow a thousand Jews to be murdered and 150 Jews to be kidnapped when the purpose of the state of Israel is to protect Jews? That is the purpose of its existence. So why would they allow this to happen? Well, some speculation, and this was my father's speculation, I think it's incorrect, is that is an Israeli pretext to destroy the Gaza Strip and retake it and resettle it with Jews. If that were the case, they would have done that already. Gaza can be destroyed in, in 10 minutes. We have enough firepower to destroy the whole thing. So then what is the purpose of it? Well, if you think about this logically, America wants to go to war, or the deep state of America wants to go to war, whoever's in charge of it, Biden is the puppet, whatever the deep state is, whoever's really deep in charge of there, they need a war to drum up support for themselves, to drum up support for the establishment, because what we saw after COVID is that there is a coalition forming of people that understood what happened there, and they are trying to disarm the deep state, and they need to distract us again with another hateful attack of something and get people focused there and so, they, so that America can lead uh, another war and possibly attack Russia or Syria. 
So what we have now is the, the American aircraft carrier, Gerald Ford, the biggest uh, aircraft carrier ever built, the most expensive, the most the most uh, developed, sophisticated weaponry is now on its way to Israel's coast. And it just happened to be in the neighborhood. Uh, and what better way than to use Israel as a staging point to invade Lebanon or Syria and provoke Russia that way, get involved, get start some kind of war uh, to strengthen the deep state in the U.S. So what I'm saying is this. If Israel is going to call on its soldiers, on my friends that I know, on Jews to invade the Gaza Strip on foot and sacrifice themselves, what needs to happen is that Israeli soldiers need to refuse orders en masse to engage, invade the Gaza Strip. And this is my this is my thinking. They must not allow this to happen. This war, in my thinking, has to be won. There is a wound. There is a wound that is festering in the Gaza Strip full of blood. It is a festering wound, and it needs to be sealed. That means Israel needs to win the war before the American aircraft carrier gets here to stage an attack on whatever they want to stage. And we need to stop World War III before it starts by ending the situation now before America gets there. Otherwise, I think we're on the war, we're on the road to World War III. And that might be inevitable at this point, because I don't see Israel or whatever is left that's good in the Israeli government is having the strength to stand up to the government, which I think is the only way to stop this. How do you think World War III ensues from American involvement in this conflict? Do you think this starts in Syria? Do you think this starts with Iran? Geographically, it would start with Syria. Uh, again, I'm not I'm not an expert on geopolitics, but I'm just seeing what would America's interest be in landing here and landing in Tel Aviv or landing in Haifa. Uh, they would pick a fight with Syria. Uh, or Lebanon, Hezbollah is really in charge of both places. Hezbollah is the uh, the ruling party, and they bomb Israel also, and they are backed by Iran. So if America wants to take out Hezbollah positions in Syria or Lebanon, park itself in Haifa on the port there, and then just have its warships bomb Syria or Damascus or something, uh, Iran would have to respond. And Russia also uh, is allied with Hezbollah. So it would start there. And then Iran would have to respond by perhaps attacking the warships or attacking the aircraft carrier if they want to save face. I'm not saying Iran has the firepower to actually destroy it, but they would have to attack. And then there, that would be pretext for the rest of American forces to go to the Persian Gulf and attack Iran directly. And then I Iran could attack Israel in some way uh, through the air by bombing it. I don't know. Uh, and it, it would proceed from there. And from there, oil would go to $300, $400 a barrel, and the, the dollar would collapse, which is the good news, because if the dollar collapses, America can't wage war anymore. And I think this is their uh, blind spot. They don't really know that they're setting their own trap. Evil can never win. At some point, the warmongers run out of gold to spend, and they have to stop the war. So I don't know how long World War III would last, but that would be the progression of it, from my view. Some people are saying that this is just a competence thing, that this is just a, you know, the Israelis were resting on their laurels. They had such technological superiority in terms of uh, military firepower for so long that they just became complacent. I've heard that uh, floated as one excuse for the border breach. But then I've also heard now, and I haven't heard much about this, but I just caught wind of this yesterday. Maybe you heard about this that they're trying to already, it seems, 
set it up so that they can say that there were some people in the IDF who might have been on the take. So have you heard that one? Who who would have like looked the other way or been uh, been compromised by Hamas? Have you heard that one? Compromised by Hamas, I seriously doubt that. Uh, what I think is much more plausible, and first of all, the incompetence story, that makes no sense because no matter how incompetent you are, the Israeli army is right outside of Gaza, like right there. Mm -hmm. How can they not respond to a border breach when every bird that craps on the wall sets off an alarm? That doesn't make any sense. They can they can be incompetent. They can be stupid. Fine. I'm not saying that there aren't incompetent people in the Israeli army, but the entire system for seven hours does absolutely nothing as terrorists stream into the country. It makes no sense. What makes a lot more sense is if the deep state in Israel and the deep state in the U.S. had a plan to start a war and then bribes, money changing hands or security guarantees uh, you you can you can frame this in, in a much more uh, benign sounding way, right? The benevolent Americans uh, go to the benevolent Israelis who are trying to protect their people, and the Americans say, "Look, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your people to start a war with Iran, so we can protect you from Iran. They have this nuclear weapon; we have to protect you from it. We want to help you, and we have to take care of this Russia problem, right?" So we're going to have this aircraft carrier right off the coast in the Mediterranean, and then we'll, we'll move it over when your people were killed and you will sacrifice them. And we'll make sure that it won't happen again. We'll give you all the money and weapons you need for 10, 20 years out. This, this, could, be, this could be worked out in that sort of way. Obviously, this is an insane way to maintain world peace by starting a war, right? We know that because we are, we are competent, sane people. Yeah. Right. Irrational people. These people are not. They are power hungry, insane people. At the same time, people who want to say that Israel can't respond with a, with the total destruction of, of Gaza. And I don't want to kill any innocent people. Uh, this is not what I want. I don't want anybody on any on either side to die. I do not hate the Arabs in Gaza. I hate the Arabs that murdered Jews. Absolutely. And they deserve to die. Uh, but a lot of the, most of the people in Gaza are innocent. But you live in you live in Canada. You live in Saskatchewan, right? Mm -hmm. Saskatchewan. So this, let's say the state underneath Saskatchewan at the border, uh, a thousand people from was it Montana come and invade Saskatchewan and kill a thousand Canadians and 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 rape the women and kill the babies. What are you going to call on what happens to Montana if this happened theoretically? People would be calling for the destruction of Montana. That's that's the mentality that we are in. And even though I'm not interested in killing innocent people, Israel has to win this war before the aircraft carrier lands or there could be World War Three. Back in World War Two, to win World War Two, uh, there were a lot of atrocities that were committed. Atrocities that I do not want Israel to commit. There was the bombing of Dresden. That killed 144,000 innocent Germans. There's going to have to be some kind of a victory that minimizes collateral damage uh, and maybe moves the Arabs into Egypt or something. But this situation has to be taken care of very quickly if you want to prevent World War III. That's what I'm saying. And it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but it has to be done. Or we're going to have a bigger war. It's one or the other. It's very unlikely that the situation will be resolved before the aircraft carrier arrives because I think it's pretty much almost already there. 
and they're already talking about sending another one, which is weird. Now, what I noticed when this broke out, at breakneck speed, the media completely forgot about Ukraine overnight. Like that, that is the first thing I noticed. Like within the first hour, I'm like, oh shit, this is it. This is, suddenly attention is taken away from the Russia-Ukraine war. And uh, just the, the quickness with which all attention was now focused on this particular issue. I don't want to stoke the conspiracy theories or anything, but it's, it's just incredible when I see these things happen and I think about COVID and I think about how easy it was to divide people along those issues. I mean, I lost a lot of friends throughout that pandemic because of differences in opinion. And the differences in opinion on this particular issue are so extreme because now it cuts across religious lines. I mean, if you want to get people fighting with one another, you know, you pit religion against religion. I have to be in 100% agreement that I think this is a part of a broader plan. I was talking on my channel the other day about how the U.S. was already kind of pre-positioning itself in the Persian Gulf for the last few months with the deployment of Marines, uh, the deployment of aircraft carriers. I know you're, uh, you're a person who studies theology, uh, specifically the, the Judaic faith. Uh, you study the Torah. Can you maybe tell me, because I have a lot of viewers who are interested in Christian eschatology, and I'm presuming that that relates a lot to what the Torah talks about. I'm a person who knows nothing about this. I find Revelations to be a fascinating uh, read in the Bible, even though I'm not religious, I'm agnostic. There's something about this that really starts to, to make you wonder if you're living in the matrix. Uh, can you tell me a bit about Gog, Magog, end times prophecy, Syria, you know, the building of the temple? Can we talk about all this stuff and just try to make sense of it? And, you know, we're just putting this out there as a theory. I'm not saying this is the case, but I want to hear what you, person who studied this, your entire life thinks about how these events tie into that. Well, to be fair, I haven't studied Gog and Magog my entire life. I know very little about that specific thing, but I can do research very quickly because I can read the original sources and I know what the rabbis say about it. Um, I can read Hebrew, I can read Aramaic, and I can read the, the medieval sources on their commentaries on the, uh, the Roman era rabbis, uh, rabbinical caste. So in my research in the last few days, I've found two things, basically. One is a, 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 newer, a newer commentary from one of my rabbis of uh, previous years, and you're talking about dividing, right? Dividing in COVID. And I've lost a lot of friends, like you've lost a lot of your friends. And I've lost a lot of my rabbis too, because they came out for medical force and they came out for division based on... Uh, uh, green passes and this and that. So I've had to sever my relationships with a lot of my former spiritual leaders, but it doesn't mean their former teachings are necessarily incorrect, but it's heartbreaking to have to break a relationship with a rabbi who you once had respect for. And I've had to do that a lot because um, my own mind supersedes theirs. I perceive the entire world through my own mind, not through theirs. So I have to trust myself before I trust anybody else. If I can't trust myself, I can't trust what I perceive. So Anyway, his lesson, that's a little bit of a tangent, but his lesson uh, is that there are 28 epics in Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes written by King Solomon. And you might be familiar with the song by the birds, uh, turn, 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 right? A time to live, a time to die, a time to love, a time to hate. Well, Jewish tradition 
has it that uh, human history, starting from Adam, and I define Adam, uh, Adam Rishon, Adam as the first man who recognizes that he was created, not necessarily the first homo sapiens or the first ape, but the first person who suddenly it dawns on him or he a soul is thrown into his body and he realizes that he is a created being so from there it's been it's been right now we've been counting from that point not the creation of the planet not the creation of the universe but the creation of adam has been 5784 years this is the year 5784 now if you take 6000 which is supposed to be the end of, of all of human history into some kind of paradise and i don't know what that is and you divide it into 28, you get each epoch of 214 years. And each epoch corresponds to a biblical epoch of 214 years that lines up with Solomon's epics. First, a time to be born, a time to die. Just those first two, those, I'll just do two of them and I'll do the two last ones. The first two, a time to be born is when Adam is born, right? A time to die is when when Cain, when Cain who murdered Abel when Cain is murdered by his great-great-grandfather Lemech at the time to die. It keeps going down through biblical history and it goes into modern history. Um, uh, a time to love is the time of the European Renaissance, when they come back to spirituality and culture is rebuilt after the collapse of the Roman Empire. A time to hate is a time of, of, of division among the Jewish people and uh, a time of, of the Enlightenment where the religious and the secular sort of split apart and you see these divisions whether we're supposed to be uh, based on reason or based on faith, really we're supposed to be based on both in my in my view. There's there's aspects, you need both of these things to keep your mind stable. You need reason and you need faith and they have to go together. It's difficult to do that. But anyway, after a time to hate is a time for war. And that began in the secular year or the Christian year of 1811, which was the invasion of Russia by Napoleon with an army of 600,000 people the largest army to that point. And the time, a time for war started 214 years ago today. It started with Napoleon's invasion of Russia. It continued into, into the Civil War, into World War One, into World War II, into all of the 20th century wars that killed something like 200, 300 million people in the world. It was the time of war. And that time of war is about to end this year in 5784, if that calculation is correct. And the next time is a time for peace. The time for war should end in 5785, which begins in the month of Nisan, which is April, May, with the, the Passover, which is the Jewish New Year. The other thing about Gog and Magog, Gog and Magog, uh, first of all, you know, on a very simple level, it's not two It's not two powers, it's one power. Gog, Gog is the king of Magog. If you look at the verse in Ezekiel chapter 37, it's not two powers, it's one power. Gog is the king, Magog is the people. And it says in the verses that Gog, and Gog will take Magog and will invade Israel. And the, the Mepharshim say, the rabbis say about this, that we don't know who Gog and Magog are, but we do know that the Yishmaelim, which are the Ishmaelites, the Arabs, who they even they claim to descend from him and they're children of Abraham, they're sort of my cousins, uh, they, will, they will be on one side of the battle and the other side will be uh, people that are descended from from Japheth. How do you say it in English? You'd say Yefet in Hebrew, but one of the three sons of Noah. And they're not circumcised. And that would be in the other side of the world. That would be the Russians. It could be the Russians. I don't know. But once you have uh, the the um, the Europeans, meaning the the Edomites, they're called the Edomites that are on one side with the fighting with the uh, the Ishmaelim, the Arabs, uh, which are shit, which are Semites fighting on the other side, the, the Japhtites, 
you have basically a world war converging on Jerusalem. And I don't know for sure, but it looks like an American aircraft carrier headed towards Jerusalem, trying to provoke the Russians on the other side and the Arabs being sandwiched in the middle as pawns, just like the Jews are. It looks like this is a possible staging point for the Battle of Gog and Magog or the Battle of Gog with Magog. I really don't know. Alec. I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not saying that this is it, but it seems to fit so far. And hopefully uh, prophecies can go can be interpreted in many different ways. Hopefully we can go to a point where it's not going to be the bad version of whatever's supposed to happen. It will be the less bad version. But I, I, I really don't know at this point. So, Because um, you say that in the year 6000, that's when the cycle c- completes. Yeah. And so that would be 216 years from now. 216 years from now, but really 215 years because it's 5,999 if you start at zero instead of one. But just to clarify, the end of this cycle, this is the end of the war cycle. For a time yeah, day. and then the, ne- the next cycle is a time for peace. After a time for peace is the end of human history. What happens then? I don't, I don't know, but I'm looking forward to a time for peace personally. Yeah, and it's it's really like what what is meant by peace? Is that like nuclear winter because we don't have any, you know, technology after that, or is that like uh, maybe a one world government? I mean, there's so many ways that could be interpreted, right? Yeah, I don't know exactly how to interpret it, but I would picture someone losing control. If you picture an individual losing control over himself getting angry at everything and lashing out at everyone and not accepting help. Let's say a drug addict who's uh, hitting rock bottom, lashing out at any, at any help. He's at a time for war with himself and he suddenly hits rock bottom. And then he understands that I, I have to change or I'm going to die. So I think that's, what's going to happen to the human race. We are totally out of control. All of us, not every individual you seem to got, you seem to get it. Like the same people in the world I see as the immune system. We see that there's a virulent, disease here and we're trying to defend people against it by telling them to wake up and start attacking and and keep their sanity and most of the people don't listen but we do gather allies here and there and we do coalesce and we have the disease trying to divide us but at some point soon we're humanity is going to hit rock bottom and i don't know what that's going to look like but we are going to spring back from there because i believe that god is good and he wants the best for us and he wants us to develop as mankind and we all have different jobs as different nations to do. I believe the job of the Jewish people is to be the world's moral compass. That doesn't mean that we are inherently more moral than anyone else. It means that that is our job, that we that we are going to lead the world either into hell or to heaven. You know, just as the people followed our bad example of medical force in COVID, they will follow, follow either our good example or a bad example into whatever we lead them into. That's why Jews are paid attention to so much because people expect a lot from us and it puts us in a very precarious position that uh, that it makes me very nervous. So if we do the wrong thing here, bad things are going to happen to the world. And then even if we do the wrong thing and bad things happen to the world, we will wake up. I promise you that we will fulfill our mission as God gave it to us, or as I believe God gave it to us to be the world's moral compass and to lead them in the right direction. And then everything will be better. And that's all I can hope for. So the thing that's fascinating to me is that you have this potential doomsday apocalypse scenario unfolding in the very place that was like the birthplace of civilization in many respects. And it's funny how you we come full circle like that and how everything has a cycle. Uh, my question is why Syria? Like what is the significance of 
Syria in all this. Do you know anything about this third temple business? I don't know anything about this. So I'm asking you, somebody who might be knowledgeable of these things, because I, I have no idea when it comes to Christian es eschatology or Judaic eschatology. So maybe you can elucidate on Syria and the third temple. I don't know if I can elucidate that much on Syria. I don't think there's any specific relevance to it as a, a country or a territory. It is a historical enemy of the Jewish people, the people there. They used to be called Assyrians, and they are the ones who destroyed the northern kingdom, the Ten Tribes. You hear about the lost Ten Tribes of Israel, and uh, unfortunately they are lost. Um, King Hezekiah uh, was able to uh, gather some of the smattering of people that were left over after Assyria conquered the northern kingdom um, in about the year 727 uh, before the Common Era. At that point, we were able to get some of the tribes back. Other than that, Syria doesn't really have that much significance to it as a country in terms of, of biblically. Uh, in terms of the Third Temple, I can tell you a lot more about that. Uh, the, the Jewish eschatology is that we've lost the First Temple because uh, of the sins of murder and, uh, uh, and sexual immorality and idolatry. We were guilty of that and God punished us. He kept the remnant alive and brought us back 70 years later to rebuild the second temple, which was rebuilt in the year 516 before the Common Era, and then destroyed by the Romans in the year 70. And that's when Christianity was born. After that, we've been in, in exile for nearly 2,000 years. We just got back in 1948. Somehow we survived the exile. And the end of day's positive vision of the world uh, was that we would come back to Israel and rebuild the third temple. So that's what we are going to do at some point in Jewish eschatology. And more and more Jews are going to the Temple Mount. The, temple, the third temple is built in Jerusalem. That's the only place we are allowed to have a temple and, and, may, and give sacrifices to God, animal sacrifices. So I expect that to happen in the end of days, in my version of the end of days, and everyone can have their own version. Well, I guess we'll see which one is true. We've seen more and more Jews head up to the Temple Mount, and I was one of them. I went on Thursday with my kids. I just went there to walk around and say a short prayer, not to provoke anyone, not to scream anything, and not to pick any fights. We're very peaceful. It was all very peaceful up there. We all just want to pray. And I have no problems with Muslims praying up there as well. It's all the same God and it's fine with me. So I was there on Thursday, which happened to be two days before a huge massacre. So I'm glad I got that opportunity. More and more Jews have been going up there and more and more Jews have been preparing the kalim, the, the vessels for the third temple, and we have detailed architectural descriptions of the temple. We know exactly where it was. We know the dimensions of the building. We know what went on there. We have written accounts of it in many different places, and we know what to do to rebuild it. We just need permission from the Israeli government. So that's the third temple. And one, just to return to Gog and Magog for one second, one thing I did read, it, which makes sense to me now, is that uh, one of the one of the later rabbis, the 19th century rabbi called the Malbim, says that Gog and Magog, that prophecy can only come true when Israel is back on its soil, uh, when it's living in peace. Because when how is Gog and Magog supposed to come back to Israel and kill the Jews there if the Jews aren't already there? Well, we're there now. We've been there since 1948. And it looks like something big is going to happen. Exactly what? I don't know. But I just hope the fewest amount of people will lose their lives as possible. And we do whatever we can to stop World War III from happening as 
as much as we can, either on an individual level or a family level or on a national level. And for that, we need mass civil disobedience, mass army disobedience. The, the Jews should not go into Gaza. Uh, it's just suicide, and we have to just conquer it from the air and end this war before it starts. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think at the time of making this video, the decision has not only already been made to go in, but they're already, as far as I know anyways, advancing on the region. And that's what I've heard most recently, but you know, there's a lot of misinformation online too. So what are you doing personally to prepare for what could be a, a conflict flaring up in, in your region, like a wider conflict? Like what are you doing to get ready from a preparedness point of view? Obviously, we're going to talk about the financial stuff that you're probably well squared away in already. But in terms of just the physical component of the, the survival, what do you? What's on your mind right now in terms of um, safety and uh, getting well, ready? I, I've reapplied for a gun license when I heard that there is a program to get uh, Israelis armed all across the country. That's another thing that in the south they've been confiscating guns from residents there on the excuse that they're being stolen. Uh, and then all of a sudden they say, oh, you know, that was a bad idea. Maybe Jews should be armed in case they get invaded from Gaza, but they weren't. Now more people are, are getting armed. There were 40,000 applications for gun licenses just yesterday. Mine was one of them. My, my weapon was confiscated after I dropped my daughter off at kindergarten in 2021 without a vaccine pass. I was arrested and my weapon, I didn't bring the weapon anywhere. It was in my safe in my house. Uh, no weapons were involved in that. I just dropped my daughter off at kindergarten against the COVID regulations and my weapon was confiscated. So now I don't have one. I'm trying to get it back. That's most practically what I'm doing. I'm, I'm gathering water. I have a survival straw. All these I'm sure you're familiar with. I'm, I'm like a, a little child with, with prepping on your level. I'm not on that level. I'm, I'm a, more of a monetary prepper and my plan is to create a division of labor in my circles. I, I tell people that I trust, um, you know, people know that, that I have gold and silver. It's not here. They can't steal it from me, <laughs> but uh, they, uh, they, they know that I have it and that I can provide it uh, to them uh, in exchange for services. So I'm trying to build a local economy. That's what I'm doing to prepare and prepare my children uh, to let them know that there are difficult times ahead to keep our family strong to keep my friends strong and to keep the friends that I've made. In my view, it's not about preparing yourself for every contingency that's impossible to do. You need to, to uh, unite uh, faith in God with, with preparing and doing your own work. It's, it's a partnership. It's, it's, it's sort of like what I was saying before about the unification of reason and faith. They all have to come together because we don't know everything and we can't protect ourselves from everything. But it, it, my, my advice is, if you are a prepper and that is how you really enjoy, and it, it gives you joy to do that, do it. Do as much as you can. Collect guns, collect ammunition, collect resources, collect friends, move out to the country, do whatever you can. As long as you are enjoying it, it's giving you joy. If you're doing it out of fear, you got to slow down. You got to reframe and not be afraid. I've go, I, I went through that process today. It's, very, it's a very scary situation. Not only when you are invaded and a thousand of your family is killed and women are raped and babies are murdered, but when you understand that your government is probably part of this, and I don't know for sure, but it seems ridiculous that they didn't know about this seven hours in advance and they did nothing. 
when you know that your that your army is not really in your control and they're not there to protect you, they're there to advance a an agenda from the deep state, whether it's the U.S. deep state or the Israeli deep state, and they're allied against us, it's an even more terrifying proposition. So it's scary, and if you find yourself going into fear and indulging in that fear, you're in the wrong place. And I was in the wrong place today. So really, it's a mental game. Prepping prepping is 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 a good thing. Collecting resources is a great thing. But the purpose of doing that is so that you do not fear and that you are calm. So the best advice I can give is to just stay calm. And I'm really talking to myself. Just to get clarification, you said that they confiscated your firearm because you didn't have a vaccine pass? Yes. Well, technically what happened is that I went into the kindergarten to drop my daughter off as a statement that they're not going to separate me from my daughter just because they, I don't have a vaccine pass. Like it's my daughter, it's not their daughter and that's it. So I sat down with her and I played a game with her. And then I go home and I find that the police are there arresting me on, uh, on suspicion of assault. So they, they didn't, they didn't confiscate my firearm technically for going into the kindergarten without a vaccine pass. They needed a legal reason to confiscate my firearm. So they made up that I assaulted this woman. Uh, thank God I had the foresight. God gave me the foresight to record the entire event with my smartphone in my front shirt pocket. So I said, well, you know, I assaulted the woman. Well, here's the video. Where is it? Mm -hmm. And it, it was a complete lie. I didn't touch her. Uh, I'm involved in a half a million shekel lawsuit against her now and the city. Uh, and it keeps getting pushed off because there's no justice system here. I don't expect, I don't expect justice, but I got to do what I have to do. I have to sue somebody. Uh, and, and so that's what happened. My, my, my firearm was confiscated because of a suspicion that I am a felon under assault and those charges were dropped. But in the meantime, my gun was already confiscated. Yeah, it's just kind of crazy, too, when you think about how depriving individual citizens of their individual rights uh, and that slippery slope is what, in some ways, contributed to this situation. Because just like if something were to happen here in Canada, there would be a lot of people who wouldn't be able to defend themselves. I'm not saying that that's uh, probable, but uh, at least not right now. It's, you know, one of those things that the state needs to reconcile that it, this is where it almost starts to look like what you're saying about how this was possibly allowed to happen or pre-planned. That, yeah, you would want people who are complacent, defenseless, naive, and uh, completely at the whim of the government security apparatus that for something like to facilitate and make it possible that something like this could happen in the first place. If you don't mind me asking, and this you don't have to answer if you don't want, but just uh, personal interest, what kind of firearm did you have? I had a Glock 9. So a handgun? Yeah. So no no rifle or? No, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't like guns. They make me nervous and I'm not into the whole firearm culture. It's great if you are, and it, it maybe you could call it a failing of me that I'm not. Um, I did practice with an M16 when I was in the Israeli army. I did basic training for one month. So I do have a basic familiarity with an M16 and how to shoot it. I know how to shoot a Glock 9. Uh, I'm, I'm not interested in more than one or two guns, one for me, one for my wife. It's not my culture and it makes me nervous. And I need to do, everyone needs to do what makes them calm and, and do what you have to do, even if it doesn't make you calm. Like I, it makes sense to have a firearm. But but having sophisticated weaponry, it's just not it's just not in my soul to do that. 
and um, I can't I can't go too far down that road. Fair enough. And uh, just for the record, I personally don't fetishize the firearms culture either. We view it here as a tool, and that's basically all it is. Uh, there's some people who really put a lot of meaning into that component of preparedness, but it is just one other personal responsibility we're all going to be burdened with if the shit hits the fan, right, is self-defense. There is something to be said about proper training, and um, unfortunately that only comes with more time invested and uh, that sort of thing. We're going to be doing videos on that in the future. What about water? Are you? Do you have a pretty good supply of water? Or? Yeah, thank God I do have extra water and I have a survival straw, several survival straws if I need to, uh, you know, suck juice out of a puddle or something. But I'm surrounded by little rivers and I know where they are. They're right behind my house. There's plenty of, of rivers around me and the Sea of Galilee is right there. So in an emergency, I would have enough water to function. It wouldn't be a problem. Uh, it would be an inconvenience if it doesn't, if it's not in my house and I have to go get it. And it might be a little bit dangerous, but uh, I won't thirst to death. Just your ability to stay calm and your advice about not doing things out of fear resonates with me a lot because I see a lot of people coming into this space and they're very fearful and they're afraid. And what happens is they burn out really quickly in their interest of this and they almost go back to complacency as quickly as they came into prepping. So I always encourage people, don't prep out of fear, prep out of, like you said, either a personal interest, be forward thinking with it, as opposed to reactionary with it. So I think that was that was great advice. Is there any other things that you're doing right now to try to keep a level head in, in the face of what must be a very frenzied population of people who are, are calling for some pretty drastic responses? Well, I was, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people calling for drastic responses because something drastic was done to us. People were massacred. This has to be answered. Uh, it, what, I, what I say is that, uh, that peace is not something that you negotiate while you're fighting. You fight, one side wins, the other side loses, and then you have peace. Now, exactly how that happens, it's it's different, but the war has to be fought and won before you can have any peace. You can postpone the fighting to another round, right? You could, It's like a boxing match. You do one round, you're like, okay, everyone's your corners, and then you go back and you fight again. And this can go on for decades. It can go on and on and on, and, and it, 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 can, it can go on forever until somebody wins, until there's a knockout. So, yeah, I'm, I'm calling for a drastic response, and I'm, and I'm one of them. I believe that the drastic response that I am advocating will save the most lives in the long run because this this is like the fifth round already. This has to end. So what am I? What other things am I doing to to prepare? I'm making sure that the people that I have in my book with the different skills, uh, the farmers, the cattle farmers, the vegetable farmers, the carpenters. Uh, all of the people that I know, the you know the the AI people and the tech people, they're not going to be that useful, I don't think, in uh, in what's coming. But the people that can work with their hands, making sure that I have them at my house uh, for Shabbat every now and then, that I maintain friendships with them. It's about community uh, and keeping my kids busy learning and learning history, and keeping their minds occupied because basically we're in a lockdown again. The schools are shut down. Kids are not going to school. That means that 
Adults can't go to work. A lot of them are called up. I had my cousin was supposed to get married on Thursday and she can't because there's no staff. So she's running back to America. And my sister was supposed to come up and fly, but she can't because the flights were canceled. And my niece was supposed to have a bat mitzvah. She's turning 12, uh, a little bit down south. And my kids are supposed to go to that, but now they can't because there's rockets going everywhere. So we're basically in lockdown again. We knew lockdown was coming back. I knew it wasn't going to be COVID again because people have lost their interest in that. So it's war. Uh, we've, we've been hearing this for, for a long time. So uh, I've been trying to prepare myself mentally uh, to be ready for the next lockdown. And now it's here. Uh, I was I was prepared for the next lockdown. What I was not prepared for, what I was not prepared for at all was the massacre of a thousand people. And uh, I, I, I wasn't prepared for that. And I couldn't handle it, but I'm going to have to. Uh, so, you know, like evolution, the end game comes in stages. Before 2020, I wasn't prepared for for lockdowns. And then the lockdowns helped me prepare for the lockdowns. And until 2023, I wasn't prepared for mass massacres right at my door. And now I have to be. So uh, it goes in stages. We've got to get tougher. And we've got to love every minute of our lives, even the minutes that we hate. Yeah, and what you said about the somebody having to win, um, as much as we'd all like to see a peaceful reconciliation of this issue, especially on the multipolar world front, one of the gripes I've already I've always taken with this idea of a multipolar world is that it simply can't work. Like that a multipolar world is an inevitable cold war. So you you need to almost have some uh, lesser of evils policing the planet, and that's not something that people want to hear. People think that, you know, we should be able to get along and uh, everything should just be business as usual. Uh, maybe there's, you know, competition is good for business type thing. But um, unfortunately, I think what we're seeing here in Israel is like a microcosm of this multipolar world unfolding and it uh, it almost seems as though it's there were certain countries who were on the fence like you have Turkey you have Syria you have Israel who kind of has some loose dim diplomatic ties with Russia but is mostly aligned but it seems like what this is doing now it's like the the final dividing line between east and west is being drawn on the map you know it's it's unfortunate, but yeah, there has to be one last conflict. And I've, heard, I've talked to a lot of you know, people about this issue, and many people do anticipate that the end goal of all of this is to have one, I, I hate using this because it's such a cliche, but one world government, new world order, whatever you want to call it. You know, you had the League of Nations, United Nations, and then, well, what's 3.0? You know, well, it's the world government, but it only comes after the, the multipolar world. But what you, what you said about lockdown was, was also pretty interesting because that assumes that this is part of a greater agenda, right? Like it's, it's a continuation of the COVID thing and, and to what end, nobody truly knows. To, to get back to a couple things that you said about friends going into the reserves, um, we've spoken about this previously, but you're not... Uh, you're not in the reserves or you're not in, uh, are you at risk of being called up for duty or what is that situation like? Theoretically, I could be if there's a real emergency, 
But uh, no, I've been out of the reserves technically since 2016. I came to Israel when I was 23 years old and they took me for basic training for six months. And then I served in a fridge. Like I didn't have much training. I was already married at the time and my wife was pregnant with our first child. Uh, so I had a shortened service and I know the basics. I know how to handle an M16. I'm in, I'm in good shape anyway, but that has nothing to do with the army. So I could be called up and I will go and fight if I'm needed. Um, but if they call me to, to go into Gaza, I will refuse orders. I'm not going to be suicided for a government that is trying to use me to control uh, control the world. I, I have my own conscience. And if I'm really needed, let's say, to, to, guard a, to guard a city or to guard a city of Jews to help at the gate, whatever, I would do that because that makes sense. I'm, I'm not in, I'm not invading any territory on foot and I'm not doing not because I'm I'm scared to and I am scared to not because if if it was useful I would do that but there, it's 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 suicide and I'm not interested in committing suicide for the state what is your take on how the markets are reacting to this asides from all the uh, military industrial stocks booming yesterday. How do you see this affecting the gold market, the stock market, the global banking system? Can you maybe shed a little bit of light on that? So I don't think the markets react to news in that way. I don't think news moves markets, at least not in the short term. News can trigger markets to go into a direction that they were already going into, or they would have already gone into anyway. Uh, but they don't move markets by themselves. So the fact that markets haven't collapsed on the news of uh, of the massacre in Israel, which could very easily lead to World War III and looks like it is. The fact that they're not collapsing it means there's still extra dollars that are being pushed into the system. And those extra dollars are in the reverse repo facility of the Federal Reserve. And this is uh, this is the extra money that was printed in 2020 and 2021 that hasn't made it into the banking system yet. Uh, but that system, that reverse repo facility, the extra money that was printed is still sitting there and it's, it's, it's being moved into the system now because the Fed is no longer printing money and they are rise, raising interest rates. So all this extra money is now, now it's, it's backing into the, the, the banking system. So that level i think now is at uh 1.3 trillion dollars and it should zero out in the next four to five months at the rate that it is going if the fed keeps interest rates where they are once it does zero out that means that that institutions banking institutions or their clients that need to raise dollars to pay off their high service debt high high interest rate debt they won't be able to take it from that extra tank of dollars that exists now they'll have to sell assets to raise dollars. And that's when you get a deflationary spiral. That's when you really have the the price of stocks and bonds and everything falling very, very quickly. And that's when the Fed has to print and add extra dollars into the system or everything implodes. That's what happened in 2008. And it's going to happen once that reserve tank of dollars runs to zero in four to five months. That, that also drives with the war timetable and every other thing that's going on now. It's all focusing on that Time go back going back to the eschatology, it focuses into the April, March, April time frame of when we'd head into 5785 on the Jewish calendar. Uh it, it the the other thing I'm noticing is that uh on, on another metric, the yield spread between the three-month and the 10-month yields uh is headed back up again to positive territory. And every single time since 1990 that this has happened. Uh, and the spread between 10-year and three-month 
has hit uh, 60 basis points, meaning 0.6%, which means that that the yield on the 10-year will have to be 60 basis points higher than the yield on the three-month. The three-month the three-month yield is now 5.5. So interest rates would have to go to about 6.1 on the 10-year. Once they hit that, the recession is almost immediate. And that's also around the same time, a March, April, maybe February, somewhere around there. So that that's what I'm seeing. And that's what I think is going to happen. We've got a few months left. So you're saying in four to five months, there's going to be the start of a, a deflationary cycle because banks are going to have to liquidate their assets in order to cover the cost of their debts or to service their yeah. debts. That's exactly so, what I'm saying. Yes. So does that mean then that um, well, real estate, gold, do those things then take a hit? Yes. Yeah. Everything takes a hit. Even gold takes a hit, but as we saw in 2020, gold took a hit, but it took the lowest, softest hit than any other asset. Deflation benefits gold holders just as inflation does, because gold is real money. And it, if you look at the at the price of gold versus the prices of other commodities, it hit an all-time record in March 2020 as the markets were crashing, and gold was crashing too, but on a much lower level percentage-wise. So in a deflationary environment, that's what we would see in the initial stages of the deflation. Everything would go down, including gold and silver, but gold and silver much less than everything else. And then the Fed will print like crazy, like the world is ending because it will be. Hmm. Uh, And then everything will inflate back up, but everything will inflate back up at a much slower rate than gold and silver. And they will head completely vertical and the dollar will die. And the good thing about the dollar dying is that once it does, the inflationary machine is broken and bad governments can no longer wage war in the same way. And that should end the war. So you think the Fed is going to start raising or sorry, lowering interest rates in the next few months then after this reverse repo money is exhausted? I don't think they're going to start cutting rates. I think it's going to be an emergency, just like it was in 2008 and 2020. It was an emergency. They cut immediately back down to zero or almost immediately back down to zero. This time oh. they're going to do the same thing. They're going to cut they're, they're going to cut immediately back down to zero. It might not even be a press conference. They're just going to do it overnight. And then overnight, the entire money markets are going to change. And there will be a panic buy into gold and silver and real assets. And people will dump the dollars in the streets. But don't you think there'll be uh, another FOMO frenzy if they drop interest rates? Won't people take that as a buy signal and start pumping the stock market full of cash again? Or is that, or is there any cash to pump it full of, I guess is a better question at this point, because everybody's broke. Yes, that will happen. If you look at Weimar Germany, you look at any hyperinflationary economy, yeah, on, on the, in the final phases of money printing, yes, stocks go up. They go up three, four, five, six times, but nothing compared to the price of bread, which goes up hundreds or thousands of times, much more. And so stock owners quickly see that they are losing money, even though the nominal value of their brokerage accounts is going up five, six, seven times, because the price of basic necessities goes up so much faster. The only thing that goes up faster than the price of basic necessities is the price of money itself, because that is the very thing that maintains the division of labor and prevents the zombie apocalypse from occurring. It it, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it possible to rebuild 
a human society based on the division of labor, which is why during these times, gold and silver go up faster than any other asset class, including basic survival gear and basic survival necessities like food and water. Even though they go up in price, they don't go up in price as fast as money itself. So with this pending market melt-up of sorts that will come as the Fed raises rates, um, this might be a great... uh, great opportunity for them to bring in the the CBDC or the whatever. How do they present this to the public? Because they have a very good way, I must say, as much as people talk trash about the Fed, I mean, they're very good at like finessing their their agenda and pushing it through with minimizing panic for the most part, or at least they have been up until this point. So how are they going to come out and say, oh yeah, we're, you know, we're just dropping interest rates. Don't worry. It's not a big deal. Like how are they going to keep people calm? Like how quickly when they first make that announcement or don't make that announcement, do it overnight, whatever, does it take before we really start to, before the panic starts, I guess. I don't think they're going to be able to control the panic this time. They were only able to control it in 2008 because they could still print money and the dollar had value. This printing is going to destroy the value of the dollar because price inflation is still at 5 6%. And we're only a few months away from when they're going to have to start doing this. So maybe it'll fall to 4 or 5% at that point, four, four or five months from now. Uh, but dropping interest rates to zero in an environment where price inflation is what it is now, it's going to cause a panic and they're not going to be able to stop it. They're also not going to be able to institute a CBDC. They could, they could try that, but it would have to base itself on the value of the dollar because the CBDC would be another derivative of the current dollar because the price array of the CBDC would have to be based on the current price array. So it wouldn't stop prices from spiraling out of control. The CBDC is not going to succeed. It's not even going to succeed for a short time, I don't think. Uh, with with World War III, you know, on the ver- on the doorstep, they don't have time to implement it. So I wouldn't worry about CBDC, and I wouldn't worry about a totalitarian government because they're going to consume their own resources, and once they consume their own resources, they will be out of luck, and we'll be left to our own devices, and that will create a certain amount of lawlessness, which is what we are preparing for. And the best way to counteract lawlessness is to reintroduce a money because money allows people to work together rather than fight each other. They do that with money. We cooperate using money. That's why we don't have to kill each other. So the best thing that you can do, prepping is very important, and I don't minimize it. You're doing holy work. Your channel is a holy channel, in my view, and and your, and your audience is a holy audience because they are part of the first responders. Uh, but part of prepping must also be to have a reserve of of division of labor units to incentivize people to work together again, to minimize the fear that is going to go is going to be happening in everybody. And the way you do that is you give them money, you pay them to work for you, to be productive, to be human again. And by putting gold and silver back into circulation, that is how we will cure the fear. And that is how we will prevent the zombie apocalypse. And that is how we will have to end up minimizing the use of our guns against each other to protect ourselves by building up the division of labor again and allowing humanity to work together once again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, barter is a one possible angle for that, but it's only so efficient in creating a, a complex 
division of labor like we've come to know, you do need some sort of monetary metal or some something that has the properties and the qualities of uh, something like gold and silver. And, you know, I'm not a big gold person. I mean, I have a bit, I have a bit of silver. It's not something I push at the front of these videos, but I would encourage people to take a good look at this because as you've talked about in the past, it is the crooks of our financial system and they've done a lot to try to uh, take people away from an understanding of how it is at the base of the financial system. I think there's probably been some concerted effort to relegate gold stacking and silver stacking to the realm of conspiracy theory, but it's an empirical fact that, you know, at the basis of the financial period, it is gold, and we've actually made some short videos of you explaining that, um, that I'd encourage people to go and check out. But where can people find more information about you and, uh, and just your work? Well, you can check out my YouTube channel, Rafi Farber. Uh, that's the, the easiest place to go. Uh, I do publish a daily market commentary at, at the end game investor. You can find that on Google. Uh, it's a service through seeking alpha. Uh, it's about it's something like $200 a year, something like that. And that's my, that's my main, my main service. You can also sign up to be my patron on Patreon for as little as $3 a month, like a pittance. Uh, I'm not really in this to make money. I do need, I do need money. Like everybody needs money. And I, I try to make a decent living for myself and my family. I'm not trying to get rich. So there I, I publish a once weekly video on uh, a biblical aspects of these of these issues, which is comforting for people, whether you believe in, in the Bible or not, because you realize that these things have happened many times before throughout human history, and they are documented in the Bible. Uh, and I talk about that. And when people realize that this is not the first time this is happening, and they're not alone, and they're connected to a chain of history that goes back thousands of years, it's comforting. And that's what I try to provide. That's where you can find me, yeah. YouTube, uh, Endgame Investor, and my Patreon. I definitely would encourage people to check out your, uh, your daily uh, write-ups, your weekly write-ups that you do on Seeking Alpha, because as much as you talk about the religious component of this, it's very rare to find somebody who is so empirically well-versed in economics to have that level of knowledge as well as your understanding of the, the theological stuff. It's just a very unique blend of skill sets that uh, I think, especially people who are into economics will be delighted to know that you do go into a lot of depth, like way more depth than you went into today in terms of crunching all the numbers and stuff. So I would encourage anybody who has a, a genuine interest in understanding the uh, greater macroeconomic issues that you go and subscribe uh, to the Seeking Alpha service and uh, check out the Endgame Investor and also check out his YouTube channel as well. Thanks a lot for coming out, man. I really appreciate it. I know you are under a lot of stress right now. I know that there's a lot of uncertainties, but I think you're well positioned and, uh, you know, I know you're as strategically located as you can possibly be inside uh, Israel. So I, I thanks thanks for taking the time and uh, definitely keep us posted about this stuff. I think now is the time to uh, to have a voice like yours on the ground explaining to people 
what's going on and uh, maybe that's a way to broaden the the uh, interest in the channel and hopefully reach more people yeah thank you very much nate for having me and helping me organize my thoughts and helping keeping me calm too because uh, i i've had a i've had a rough day but uh you've helped me you know get out of the worst of it <laughs> yeah guys go check out his uh, youtube channel and seeking alpha endgame investor i'll post links in the description thanks take care the best way to support this channel is to support yourself by gearing up at CanadianPreparedness.com, where you'll find high-quality survival gear at the best prices, no junk, and no gimmicks. Use discount code PREPPINGGEAR for 10% off. Don't forget, the strong survive, but the prepared thrive. Stay safe. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.